Hello, and uh, welcome to Cinephil's uh, Take 23. Uh, and uh, this week we're going to be discussing uh, two films uh, by Alex Cox, who's a, it's an interesting character. Rob, I don't know, um, I suppose you and I were in college about the same time, so we probably saw Repo Man at about the same time, and then... Um, Sid and Nancy, or at least Sid and Nancy. I think I saw Repo Man in high school. My dad, uh, not one of his uh, most advised uh, choices for us to go see together when I was a you know, uh, young teen. Um, but uh, we saw that, and then we saw, um, then I saw Sid and Nancy definitely in college. Uh, uh, Cox is a, is a weird guy, uh, interesting filmmaker, obviously. Uh, Repo Man and Sid and Nancy were of a of a kind, a kind of um, both in the punk genre, which is um, you know sort of punk filmmaking as well as punk music. Yeah, um, I saw I saw um, Sid and Nancy. Uh, I loved it uh, mainly because I was really into the music at the time. Uh, I did not see. Repo Man. I've never seen this. I, I feel like saying that's a confession, but I have not yeah. seen Repo Man. So my uh, sum total of Alex Cox movies are uh, Sid and Nancy back in the day, and most recently Walker and uh, Highway Patrol Man. That's it. That's all. Uh, all so right. I came to this like a like a virgin. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Wrong, wrong genre, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so you 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 should watch uh, Repo Man. I think it's one of the funniest satires I've, I've ever seen. Uh, early um, a vehicle with um, a very young Emilio Estevez uh, before he got sidetracked into Mighty Ducks and such. Um, and also, um, oh, with a great role. Oh, shoot. David Lynch, favorite uh, uh, actor. Um Damn it. His name is escaping me. Anyway, fantastic. Um, I'm going to have to look it up because uh, he's just too good uh, to ignore. Um, so Harry Dean Stanton, of course, Harry Dean Stanton as the as Estevez's um, um, uh, young protege. Anyway, you should get a chance to watch that if you can. Um, but let's talk about Walker and um, Highway Patrolman a little bit. So I, I thought of seeing Walker because of our uh, last uh, outing um, in which we discussed um, an, a film uh, that involved another depiction of William Walker. Um, what was the name of that film now? Burnt or Burn Burnt. or... Yeah. yeah, Kameda or yeah. whatever. And so, yeah. um, and that was, of course, Marlon Brando. Um, this is a, so this depiction of Walker that I had you watch is more accurate um, to the actual Walker legend, a lot more accurate um, in, 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 you know, biographical detail, except for a couple of things, which we'll obviously have a chance to discuss. Um and I, you know what, I hadn't seen it in over 25 years. So I think the other thing that one of the, you know, one of the things that besides Ed, Ed Harris, who I think is great in the role, um, 
the soundtrack by Joe Strummer. Um, mm-hmm. All this time, I always thought, you know, that that film had a really good soundtrack. And I remember our view of Burnt was that that soundtrack really just was lousy. So uh, this is, a, you know, I thought a, uh, an interesting uh, juxtaposition. Um, but I'm interested in your thoughts. So this is obviously, um, have you seen it um, before this or? No, I've time? never I'd never seen it beforehand. I've heard of it. I think it's on like a movie, uh, one of these uh, sites that, yeah, yeah. So I've heard it mentioned, uh, never seen it. Uh, And um, yeah, I thought it was a mixed bag. Uh, um, I thought Ed Harris's, well, I don't know what to make of Ed Harris's, portrayal in this uh like i wasn't uh i thought it was weird i thought the character the character of william walker is weird uh and so i wasn't sure if ed harris was portraying it in such a way to make it to accentuate that weirdness or if it was dare i say just bad acting you know like because because he didn't or bad editing, like maybe it was like it was just how the character was presented on the screen. It's like, oh, this is odd. I I didn't find myself fixated or drawn into the character in any real way. And I'm not sure why that is like. So like there are three reasons. One, the character is not meant to uh, you're not meant to be drawn into this character. He is supposed to be an oddball, if so. Great acting on Ed Harris's part. Uh, two, Ed Harris uh, missed the mark portraying this character and humanizing him. Three, uh, Ed Harris hit the mark, but due to the edits of the film, which was edited in a weird way, um, an artistic way, uh, it just didn't uh, portray the humanity of the character at all. So I was left feeling uh, very cold. Uh, by yeah, by uh, the character itself, uh, him yeah. himself. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe you could shed some light on that. Like, did I? What did I miss? So there, yeah, I don't know if you missed anything, or if maybe. So Ed Harris has a has a style. I think mm-hmm. he's one of these actors whose style is a sort of austere style. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that struck me is that the outfit he wears as Walker is almost identical to the outfit he wears in Westworld, um, uh, the sort of the man in black character. See, again, he he's, he's and he does a similar sort of style, this uh, very straight-laced, um, very rigid, uh, upright. Now, I guess the only, you know, the outlier to this um as a stylistic um, element of his acting might be when he plays um, uh, oh God, in my mind, of course, I'm losing all the names. So um, Pollock, um, when he, in, in yeah. Pollock. So in Pollock, you know, he plays a drunk um, mm-hmm. and um, a different kind of nutcase, right? Yeah. So, um, He's not a straight lace up, you know, overly rigid, uh, moralistic character. He is um, 
he's you know a, a kind of a sloppy drunk and and creative artistic um, genius. Yeah. But otherwise, I think Harris does have this tendency. Again, he plays Gene, um, um, the astronaut guy, that uh, in uh, Apollo thirteen, and a similar sort of stylistic. Yeah. He's not. Yeah. He's a slight man, right? He's, he's yeah. Got a slight build, and he has these sort of um, angular um, features and the piercing blue eyes. I don't know that you know. I'm, and, and I just think he has a style. So I, I, Jack Nicholson yeah. has a style. Other people mm-hmm. have styles, and so maybe that's part of it. Yeah. Consider. No. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, considering like his other roles, and like I've seen, well, uh, two out of the three you mentioned just there, um, like Westworld, I, I got what he was. Well, actually, I didn't get what he was for the first two seasons of that show. Uh, it was like. I, w- I was half convinced he was an automation uh, in the park um, as opposed to like a real live human being. I didn't know. Uh, but I thought, needless to say, his style worked very well uh, yeah. in that uh, yeah. for that character. So like given what you've just said, I think it has more to do with just uh, William Walker, the character he was portraying here is weird and maybe yeah he is yeah Yeah. like because like i think like when he was meeting with the tycoon of industry and yeah Yeah. and he has this moment where he has like he goes from moral outward he goes from he goes to moral outrage really quickly and then right back to normal person in like a few like a few scenes and I'm like, okay, this, this is, uh, off putting and really weird. And I think that has nothing to do with Ed Harris's acting. It has everything to do with William Walker, the character he's portraying just being, uh, a nutter or, uh, or he's meant to be, uh, right. Um, yeah. There's a, there's a couple things going on. Alex Cox is not subtle as mm-hmm. a director. Um, he's more subtle in uh, Highway Patrolman than in uh, yeah. any of his other films that I've seen. But he had a point. He was making a point. He's kind of beating us over the head with it throughout the film. Um, and it gets a little more, you know, uh, goofy as time goes on. But yeah, Walker is this. So the character Walker, I think, is more accurately portrayed in this than it is in. Burnt or Kameda. Yeah. In that, there is nothing sympathetic about William Walker. William Walker's mission in going as a filibuster to, um, and it was Nicaragua. Um, first, he tried Mexico. So this is prior mm-hmm. to the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And the point of these incursions were to create more territories for the South, so that um, there was a better argument for slavery and more representatives to Congress um, and in the South, or at least allies in the South. So first Mexico, the idea was to not just create, not you know, take over the state, but make it a state. This was that very mm-hmm. ill-advised attempt on his part without authorization 
uh, to invade, I think it was Cabo, um, California, Mexico. So Yes. Yeah, that, that makes, like, he was a, yeah, just a lunatic. Uh, <laughs> he was a supporter of slavery. I thought it was interesting, uh, the stuff about, you know, the Marley Matlin character, his um, wife, who obviously had a yeah. better moral compass than Walker. And I think that what wasn't developed was, you know, how her passing may have affected a change in Walker. Um, she um, she was opposed to slavery. He was not. He had a mission to right uh, help the South. She did not, obviously. Um, I don't know if he was lying to her in Walker when he says, I oppose slavery, you hate, I hate it. Um, but maybe he did, and then maybe he just thought, well, now that she's dead, it's going to you know, take advantage of the situation. I don't know. Yeah, I, w- I was not sure. I thought Marley Maitland's uh, portrayal was excellent, as always. Uh, what I was confused was uh, Walker's real fiance, uh, the real William Walker's fiance, uh, Ellen Martin. Was she uh, hearing impaired as well, or was I don't know if that's uh, true. Yeah. I, it, it may well be the the case. Yeah, because it 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 just struck me as there was a dissonance there. Like, okay, so like you know, here he is engaged with somebody who is impaired has a has a hearing impairment um and he's all about the slavery uh and there's a like there's not a direct contradiction there but there's some sort of it's like would this person be with that person um you know is what I'm what I was wondering like I like her portrayal was excellent. And then, uh, but I was just, it was the consistency of William Walker's character, like in, in broad strokes. It's like, okay. So, so yeah, like, you like, I you know, did you, you see where, what I'm getting? I'm what saying, but, you know, the sort of, the sort of prejudice against yeah. uh, Africans uh, and other uh, mm. ethnicities doesn't necessarily imply um, clearly uh, not yeah yeah it clearly it doesn't might well be the case that you would have these racists yeah. who would still be uh, yeah yeah i i get that but it just seemed interesting and then like how after she dies he becomes his let's say his own truth, the actualization of his essential self, which yeah. is just like, and yeah. when you take that actualized essence and it's like, well, what the hell was not he doing with her, but what the hell was she doing with him? You know, like, you know, like. that That's a yeah. really good point. Um, yeah. I mean, by all, by all appearances, he was cultured. He, mm-hmm. um, you know, he played the piano and was, um, well read, and as many of these genteel southern racists were, mm-hmm. um, it was not, it, it wouldn't be incongruous for him. I mean, yeah. It's not these other MAGA Republicans, uh, who were, um, you know, um, but the, although his, his obviously his troops were, 
right? Right. There is a disconnect. There's a there's a clear distinction between the Walker character and his band of rogues and thugs and uh, who were helping him. Not to mention his brothers. Hmm. Yeah. Yes, that, that's true. Like he did present himself as far more genteel and educated in a certain sense, uh, cultured than they were. Like, uh, absolutely. Um, he even got that through like the sort of ridiculous shot where it's like they're all getting slaughtered and he's just walking through like, like Christ, uh, walking on water or whatever or like yeah or like moses think, crossing the nile you know i think yeah. he's recapitulated in in westworld uh i'm yeah. pretty sure that nolan and his wife uh um wrote that as a, some sort of a, a reference yeah. as he he does almost the same thing wearing the same clothes and yeah. in, in scenes in westworld yes yeah, but it was just like, this is ridiculous. Like, you know, like, um, and it obviously had a had a, a point in this movie. Like, you know, uh, it was like the whole, it was not only Manifest Destiny, but it was like, which Walker believed in, but it was, he is instantiating Manifest Destiny uh, by this walk through the bottleneck kill zone you know like uh and emerging you know, unscathed a film we referenced last time apocalypse now has a similar character robert duvall's yeah. character right mm-hmm. uh, who i think is also um referencing the custer character um that appears in little big man um played by what's his name uh, the guy who played bert in um you know, you know who I'm talking about, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. The TV Name show. Escapes. Uh, yeah. Um. Anyway, so that character, you know, they and this Robert Duvall character in Apocalypse Now, who also walks across a live fire zone, right, upright mm-hmm. without concern. You know, not. Yeah. He doesn't have the gentility, but he has this untouchableness to him. Yeah, but the Robert. We'll we'll talk about apocalypse now, maybe later. But like that 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 character, at least he struck me as like some in that movie somebody like he was a he was a marine commander and he was like aware, like whereas uh, Ed Harris, there wasn't that backstory, uh, so he just struck me as less aware and. Yeah much more oblivious totally uh, oblivious. doesn't yeah. care what happens to these thugs right? yeah yeah and like yeah like uh where's robert Duvall, right. yeah. yeah where's robert Duvall's actually mocking them for getting slaughtered and yeah. you know you know like there's like it's like what why aren't you surfing you you know <laughs> like the 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 mortar shells create great waves you know and then, you know where's like yeah there was a Walker, Walker sits yeah. at the piano in the middle of this siege, yeah. right, and bangs out some yeah. Christian um, yeah. hymn. Similar sort of weird untouchableness to those characters. Yeah. yeah. So um, okay, moving on from the titular character, <laughs> um, what what was um, 
what was uh what attracted you to this movie i gotta i gotta know like what was like uh so a couple what was the awesome of here i i don't think it's an awesome film i think it's a it's a it's an important film and i think the criterion folks recognize that too it was a um, turning point in the media during the reagan years this comes out when Reagan is getting us, getting the U.S. into Nicaragua, right? We're there to help the Contras in their, um, you know, battle against the, the uh, communists, right? To win back Latin American communist right. countries. So, so um, and there was a lot of, um, there were a lot of Americans who were in favor of that. This, you know, with almost no memory of Vietnam. Um, and Walker comes out and basically says, hey, you idiots, <laughs> you are doing the same thing. This manifest destiny stuff is moronic. Um, and you're just going to end up just like in Vietnam um, again. Um, and makes no bones about it. And this was a risky thing to do in Hollywood at the time. You had a number of other sort of um, more war movies were being made about Vietnam by then, but you know they were not directly referencing present uh, situations. So, I mean, yeah. th this was this was um, this ended Alex Cox's big screen career, actually. So after it comes out, he gets blacklisted um, by Hollywood, more or less. Nobody will give him money to make movies. Um, but also, I think it was kind of high satire. Um, yeah. And I found it funny. So, yeah. you know. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. And, like, it, like this was 87. And, like, what was going on in 87 in not just movies, but, like, pop culture in general? Like, I remember there was this game on the Atari 26 or the Atari 2600 game console console, which was like the first generation of things that you could plug into your TV uh, called Contra. And basically it was like you were an American uh, uh, Green Beret or SEAL going down to Nicaragua and uh, you spent uh, like an infinity of levels killing off the bad bad communists you know and like this was like it ever like you know not everybody's uh but this was like a thing and then you so had red dawn came out too, yeah most all violent that movie anti, all that yeah. anti-communist propaganda yeah did well. and and wasn't this like when schwarzenegger was making commando uh at the like this like this utterly comic yeah. book movie but uh that was very similar and like this is like when chuck norris was making his revenge fantasies on vietnam like we're going to go back there and yeah the rambo films so. yeah, yeah yeah i was thinking missing missing in action and then there was yes the rambo movies first rambo very different story which is a great film yeah yes yeah but then the rest it's like no now he's going to set things right yeah first blood is a thing unto its own uh, yeah. but yes so there's all this and putting it in that context uh alex cox 
Cox's movie in that context as a response to that really does make it make a lot more sense as to what he's doing and how radical the final shots are, uh, you know, and how really breathtaking they are. Like, uh, that was... Uh, it took balls, let's just yeah. face it. You know? Yeah, it, it did. be out there at that time. Um, yeah. and, and, and he had hit with Sid and Nancy. I mean, that was a big yeah. deal culturally mm-hmm. and uh, economically for him. Yeah. And for him to come around and do like this, you know, broad satire, totally, um, you know, in your face, anti-Reagan film is um, important. Right. And like, you got to look at, like Sid and Nancy, great film. Don't want to deride it at all. But it was by one reading, very complimentary to the Reagan-esque war on drugs uh, ideology. Uh, you know, it's like, because like, look at these characters, look at how their story ends, not happily. Uh, yeah, I, I can you, see that. You know, like, like, so you could be in middle America watching Sid and Nancy as a horror movie about what not to do and you better vote Republican and you better get these kids off the streets and make them listen to Lawrence Welk because this music and this whole vibe, like, look at how they dress, you know, it's just like she, her stockings, they're they're ripped, you know, like, you know, like you really could watch this for as a conservative American, I think, and be like, okay, that is completely playing into uh, the Reagan era ideology of this is really bad. This is a warning post. And then like here, that is, there's no way you can be a Reagan supporter and watch this movie and not walk away brutally offended. And, and, and and lots of people did. So, um, you know, this part of the, part of the, reason I think it's a it's a good effort in this regard is because up until uh, you I go back now and I kind of zoom through it quickly to look for early um, incongruities um, uh, what is the anachronisms in the film which is a device um, and they do come in rather early you just have to be on guard you have to kind of look for it and it can make it a kind of a fun thing to look for them those anachronisms um, come into a really well done period piece in which a lot of the, you know, look and feel of the film is actually authentically Mexico or Nicaragua. These are not romanticized sets. They're sort of lovingly recreated, um, historical ac- historically accurate sets until, you know, you see a, a Chevy pass a, you know, a, a, a horse cart. So, or a Zippo lighter, you know, there's the Zippo lighter makes an early appearance. I don't know if you noticed it. Yeah, um, I did, but I, I wasn't sure when the Zippo was invented. So, uh, yeah, that was I, a was, 20th century. Yeah. It was like a world war two thing. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I wasn't like, I saw it and I took note, but I'm like, when was that actually invented? Uh, and I didn't, but then it's like, yeah, that was the GI. Terminal, you know, there's a Bloomberg terminal in the yeah. Vanderbilt office. Yeah. And, 
and they yeah. start to pile up and get more weird and funny yeah. until the yes. final scene. But this, yeah. I thought, was also a part of the, I wouldn't call it brilliance, but the the well-considered use of anachronism in extending the satire. So make us think we're actually seeing this biography of Walker, which is actually, as I said, much more historically uh, accurate than we'd seen. And then turn it into this anti-Reagan screed um, that was done in a way that would absolutely piss off anybody who had voted for Reagan by the time you get to the end, but maybe keep them watching until the end. Is there anything more to it than like okay? Maybe not. It, 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 well, I think there kind of is. <laughs> um, like the like. Great soundtrack. It, I love the Joe Sturmer yeah. soundtrack. Yeah, like um, this whole notion of anachronism, uh, manifest destiny, and atemporality. Okay. Let's hear uh, it. Like okay, like the atemporality. Why is why is this okay? Well, this is the anachronism. Uh, seeing the Zippo when there should have been no Zippos, um, we're we're operating in seeing the choppers at the end. Um, war is always the same, and imperialism is always the same. Uh, we don't have we have what M60s now uh, as opposed to Gatling guns as opposed to uh, we have cluster munitions as opposed to spears but these are just uh, contingent technical tweaks it mm-hmm. like a projectile is is used in warfare to kill other people uh kill the enemy and the enemy is always changing uh ring destruct uh, just rain down destruction and it really doesn't and so you can combine the you can just mix them up and it makes no difference war is war it sucks it's for imperialist meats yeah uh you know like it and now so there's a statement now but like how what what's the metaphysics here like this is just to say that at the this is like at the level of eternity where all things from whatever time, time domain, uh, temporal realm, temporal period, are calm present. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and then we're we're on like Boris territory here, where where it's like, okay, the Garden of Forking Paths, and it's like, yes, both these or and this is like also Leibniz, like, okay, you, there can be. Uh, two different realities that are strangely equal, like yeah. utterly in their measure of reality. Sure. Uh, and they can be opposed, like uh, opposed in some ways, like, and yeah. like, and like, like, that's like a, like a really big yeah, physical claim and and like yeah, it it and perhaps the genius of this film is that he is playing it for laughs and it is humorous, particularly in the end. But it's 
also some serious philosophy maybe going on yeah. here. Like I, I do think this notion of the eternal return, right? Yeah, so yeah. that we can see this as overlapping episodes in history mm-hmm. that are, you know, you can overlap them without much um, strain. The yeah. the same impetus, the same human folly, the same ego and um, uh, disregard um, for others um, is operative for, you know, uh, I forget the general who was leading the efforts in Honduras, right, where the Americans were staging their help of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But anyway, that the same sort of, you know, hubris is in, in effect. Yeah. And it just plays out with with different historical actors. But like, yeah. A, and even dictate. in the. Yeah. So if we look at um, like Donna, what's her name? Um, it starts with a Y. Reba. Or, yeah. She and her husband. Right. Who she kind of helps off um, to get Walker in in her bed and in charge. Um, this is all the same sort of machination that the, you know, Latin American fascists have been, you know, doing. I mean, it, it also struck me as having parallels to um, the story in uh, Peron, the Perones, right? So Exactly. And yeah. all of these various right-wing dictatorships that the U.S. propped up, it's it's this over and over again thing. And and Cox just says, "Listen, it's we're we're reliving the same nightmare each time." And it'd be funny if it weren't tragic. Yeah, first time it's comedy, next time it's farce, isn't that? Yeah, that's a line from the 18th premiere. Uh, you know, like when history repeats itself. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Or tragedy then farce. That's uh, but anyway, uh, yeah. That that's a uh, so and this yeah. is farce, and it is I think yeah. an effective farce. Yeah, it's a shame what happened to Cox's filmmaking, but it got us to Highway Patrolman in a roundabout yeah. way. Yeah, which I thought was uh, I thought I just watched Highway Patrolman for the first time last night, uh, so it was uh, so it's fresh in my head, and I thought it was spectacular. I thought this was a very Spectaculars made the wrong. I thought it was very good and very subtle. It was not spectacular in the explosions everywhere sort of thing. It was a very subtle, nuanced movie. Uh, the moral center of uh, the main character, um, whose name now Pedro Rojas, uh, like it was very, very nuanced, um, and it was not. It was not simply one thing, uh, and the how he deals with corruption. Like he wasn't a moral exemplar. He was quite willing to take take bribes. Uh, that's how he got married. Uh, you know, like and um, funded that marriage. And yet, at the same time, he has a great loyalty to his friends. Uh, and so I thought this movie was very, very nuanced. And I thought it was a really strong showing. Uh, if I, like, I just said really a lot of things about Walker, but like, you know, if I had to pick one of these movies as like 
this one should be in the Criterion Collection and not the other one, I would definitely pick Highway Patrolman as like, you know, it's like this is a a great film uh, as opposed to a highly entertaining good film um, to That's, me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you, actually. So Cox is clearly a good filmmaker. Um, mm. The cinematography of Walker was well done. The Again, mm. the set and design, the production design was, was very, I thought, authentic. It felt real. Um, highway, it gets him to Highway Patrolman because they shot a lot of Walker in, in Mexico, and he wanted to come mm. back to Mexico. So when he gets uh, more or less banned from the studio system in Hollywood. He's kind of fumbling around the world looking for somewhere to make movies. He ends up back in Mexico where he makes a Spanish language film using Mexican talent, um, which is, you know, one of the really good Mexican films out there. And Mexico produces a lot of great films. So it's interesting, this guy, Cox, right, who comes out of England originally, um, and then L.A., or Hollywood, rather, and now in Mexico, makes a really very good Mexican film um, with more authenticity than I used to realize before I lived in Mexico. Um, And I have to say, it was extremely authentic in its portrayal of Mexican uh, law enforcement, um, family life, um, values, even today, um, and uh, a a certain amount of pride about, um, you know, Mexicanity. Um, it, It was interesting in that respect because I've seen a lot of films by Mexican directors that don't show as much, except for Roma, more recently, that don't show as much love for it, that kind of um, have an embarrassment for the culture. This doesn't. Yeah, and you get that, like, right from the opening, well, not the opening shot, or is it, the opening shot is, like, in downtown Mexico City. Yeah, yeah. Right, where, in the center, right in the center. Yeah, with the, the, that's the art gallery that they pass. And, no, the uh, uh, opera hall. Oh, that I thought. That thing is the opera hall. Yeah, I thought, like, you, they came past uh, the, the, the square with the big Mexican flag. The, that's the, the President's the, Palace. And, yeah, uh, and, uh, and I thought the way they were going is, uh, led to, uh, the art gallery, but um, I could be, I've been there like only twice. I'm, okay, I'm wrong. I'll, I'll just say it, I'm wrong. I don't know what the yeah. hell I'm talking about. No, okay. um, <laughs> it looks like a wonderful gallery and it yeah. is a, a great a, a, a great building um, yeah. built under the supervision of the dictator that everybody loves, Porfirio Diaz, um, mm. who brings Mexico City into you know the 20th century through these great architectural and public works projects. Um, so it's, yeah, it's it's a wonderful opening sequence. And mm-hmm. anybody who's been to Mexico City thinks, oh, yeah, this is, yeah. This is and, Mexico City even today. And like, and like, I've been to UNAM, I guess now twice, and the interiors of the buildings, of the police station in particular, 
mm-hmm. had had a very particular feel that is very similar to some of the classrooms that I I was in in UNAM, and as like just like an aesthetic that is definitely not American, definitely not Canadian. It's 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 Mexican, and it's and just showing that so nicely like you know like i've watched not many mexican films per se that's a that's a a bad thing but i have uh, watched a lot of films that were putatively set in mexico now like uh the direct the cinematographer miguel garzon here went on to work on the mask of zorro and uh you know all of those movies, the Hollywoodized Mexico, and right. they didn't—they didn't look like this. You know, like they—they—they they, they didn't. You know, it was like some. It looked like uh, at San Diego, or um, yeah. you know, like what, as as opposed to what uh, Mexico actually looks like. And I really thought this this was marvelous, and the cinematography in this was breathtaking. Like yeah. not just the interiors, which. I remarked on, but like all the exteriors were just yeah. like, wow, 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 wow. Like this is like some really, there were some Turner-esque skies here. Um, and I thought it was a great cinematography. Uh, I don't want to say authentic, but it, it gave a feel to the place. Which, this film had a feel, which is, remarkably different from anything uh, coming out of Hollywood. And so I assume it's uh, authentic. Uh, And it was was really cool for that. Um, And I thought the, so the Rojas characters also uh, step away from any of the sort of um, stereotyped Mexican characters. He is a very genuine person, right? Somebody you can picture knowing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think representative of uh, of the vast majority of the Mexican population, which is this lower middle class, um, doesn't live in fancy houses, doesn't have access to a lot, but um, you know just wants to get by, kind of make it um, in society, and um, and this is what happens, right? So. Um, Rojas isn't, as you say, he wasn't, isn't particularly a moralist. He's not Serpico, right? He is a a regular guy, Um, not particularly strong, right? He's not a a hero. Yeah. He is um, just trying to get by and and ends up out in the middle of nowhere in Durango, uh, which is really in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing out there. Um, it's it's just like it should. They show it in the in the in the movie. Wide open, beautiful vistas uh, that are breathtakingly beautiful and desolate. Yeah, and like it's really important how Rojas does not the character uh, does not exemplify the caricature of Mexican. Uh, which seems to be in film basically at one of two poles. Uh, one is a horribly racist stereotype of Mexicans, which is portrayed all the time in film when it the Hollywood stereotype. Yeah, yeah, you know, and the other, and the other is of the 
uber wealthy uh, and vicious Mexican, which is another horrible race, racist stereotype, which uh, a, a television series that I really quite enjoyed uh, played into, like Breaking Bad. Uh, what they, you know, and it's, and also this other show, Ozarka, not yeah. quite as great, but you know, like this, it's like, oh, the cartels, oh my, they are the most blood, they are true embodiments of evil who will have no problem with anything. Um, anything that dehumanizes others. Um, the, Rojas, both the character of Rojas is nowhere near either of those poles, which was so refreshing, and also does not encounter anybody uh, in this movie that is anywhere near those poles. Like, he does encounter drug, he does encounter some heavy-duty drug drug dealers in this in this movie who are American. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is... Well, yeah. And also the governor. So yeah. the governor um, embodies that sort of. Yeah. But we see him for like five seconds. Yeah, he's in there. He's in there for a shot. Um, and his kid, it could have been a gringo, for God's sakes. Yeah, yeah. Like his kid struck me as like some some snot-nosed undergrad going to an R1 university. You know, like, and it's just like, okay, yeah, I, I've seen your kind before. Uh yeah. Didn't do well in my class, but we've been, you know, like, um, right. So, so, yeah. So he meets Griselda. Yeah. Right. Who is this working class? Yeah. Farm owning, but not wealthy. Yeah. Um, woman who, you know, very down to earth. She, yeah. and, and even her father, who I was afraid was going to become this like um, heavy, the Don, yeah. right? Yeah. He's just a normal guy. He waters the plants and he wants to read the newspaper. And beyond that, please be leaving him alone. That's all. Yeah. You know, like and he's a nice guy. And he's like, even like saying to Ross, yeah, you're married now. So things are different here. Just, yeah. It's <laughs> sorted out. Uh, you know, like, yeah. yeah. I, so I like that. Arc, this arc, though, that Rojas takes does have moral components. Mm hmm. Um, because as as we said, he's not a hero, but he is a he does have a work ethic. He does, and then he end up ends up doing the this this one right thing, almost right. He, but then it's a fascinating turn because this is not a Hollywood film at all. You know, we don't have that Hollywood arc. It's not the hero's journey. It is something else. Yeah, it, it, it's certainly it, like it is a character's journey, but it's uh, yeah, it's not the David Campbell or uh, Joseph Campbell hero's hero's journey at all. This isn't Luke Skywalker we're we're looking at here. Right? Um, there's uh, I'm not sure if that if that's uh, it's impossible to pin down. I can't. Yeah. Uh, which makes me wonder if it's not okay. This is a story about a place uh, with a guy. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like with a guy, and it's like this is what this is what the place does to people. You know, like like like. You, like yeah, go ahead. Like I was thinking, like like Rome 
uh, open city uh, to like, it's like, here's a story about a city. You know, here's a story about a place, a particular place, time, and we'll throw a bunch of characters in there and uh, these characters will do things, but it's not really about the character. It's about this is this, this is this moment, Um, you know, and here's what this moment, what happens here? Uh, Because yeah, Rojas, Rojas's character, like, okay, what's the one right thing? Uh, that you think he almost did. Uh, well, he did a couple of actually yeah. pretty nice things. Yeah. Um, one is he, I mean, he is having this affair with a prostitute mm-hmm. um, who actually does care about and wants to help. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, he's going to give some of his money to her and that's, you know, not a bad thing. Um, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a decent thing to do for her. She definitely is going to be better off as a result of this. Um, so that's a decent thing. The one right thing he did was based upon that, you know, this, this drug dealing jerk that, that was um, using mm-hmm. um, Maribel, was it, I think? Yeah, uh, it was, yeah. Um, and, and getting her addicted to drugs and basically tossed her aside. So Rojas goes after that guy. Now, none of that has anything to do with Griselda, his actual wife or his kid. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, and so that's a little disturbing, um, right? That he, he's, I mean, he, except he is taking the bribe so he can feed them um, mm-hmm. and, and, and lift them out of poverty. But wow. yeah, I think the whole stalking of the... Um, the helicopter that was delivering the drugs, the attempt to try to get to the bottom of it. He wasn't going to stop these people, but he wanted to get to the bottom of it. He wanted to question them, get information. Yeah. yeah. Um, that whole, well, I, like, I thought like the nice thing, like the first bribes he took in uh, the movie, uh, which was when he uh, pulled over the truck uh, and it had the sporting goods in it. Yeah. And and it, he's like, these aren't canned goods, so we're going to confiscate them. And he ended up giving, like, him and his partner uh, took that and uh, gave it to the, the orphans. orphans. And I'm like, that that's cool. Like, you know, like, especially... And then, like, him letting that woman off who was driving them the wrong way down a one-way street. Like, he's not an idiot. He's not a total idiot. He knew. And he's just like, yeah, I, you know, fuck it. You know, just carry on. Do your thing. Uh, it's fine. Uh, yeah. And, like, I thought he he did show a real human compassion at the start. Then when his uh, partner gets uh, killed, then he goes on his. And I thought his. I thought it was his initial impetus was to get the guys. The, to get yeah. the guys who uh, maybe got his, got his friend, but then at the then it sort of morphed into ah, oh, and a way I can get these guys who got my that revenge mission morphs into okay, I can also achieve those goals and save Maribel. Yeah, um, and I thought that was. Uh, giving him some intentionality, some purposiveness. Uh, it put him on a 
teleology um like you know and uh but it it sort of happened by happenstance and him killing emilio well by his own admission he's like yeah i didn't mean i just wanted to question you dude i didn't want to i didn't want to off you um yeah i thought that was all uh i thought it was good i thought it was like these are all noble yeah, noble things, but they happen by ha- happenstance at the same time, yeah. you know. Uh, so, the, the, I mean, the allure of a film like this is that, again, if we look at the time, so we're coming out of Reagan's and Bush's mm-hmm. eras. This is the tail end of the Bush administration. Yeah, um, the Bush administration one. Yeah. Yeah, the whole war on drugs has been mm-hmm. a terrible uh, bust, and it turns out the CIA was, you know, uh, involved in moving drugs from South America and Latin America to the states, et cetera, et cetera. So all of that, and this again pokes at that. Yeah. Because here, who's running the drug trade? It's yeah. the gringos, right? It's not the Mexicans. It's the right. gringos. It's all about these gringos coming down here and screwing up things. So, and here's a regular guy, a Mexican guy, just doing his job as a petroliero, um, yeah. right? It's, and and he pokes at that. He doesn't stop it. He's not Dirty Harry. He's not yeah. Charles Bronson's character. Uh, what's that one? Yeah. So he's not yeah. going to stop these things. But he pokes it, and he uncovers it, and we peek under the covers and see what's going on. And then, like him... We just retire to the farm where we're yeah. going to, yeah. you know. And that that's so honest, I think, yeah. you know, like, because, like, the Dirty Harry and the Death Wish, these are Reagan-esque fantasies. Exactly. Uh, and this, it's like no one person and no army is going to stop the drug war because it's it was funded, it was created by George W. Bush C or George Herbert Walker Bush. He was yeah, our Busto uh, airline yeah. was yeah. shipping yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. He was he was head of the CIA before he was vice president. Uh you know, like you know, like and uh like yeah, he, he knew what was going on there and he, he advanced it. Um and uh yeah, so that was and it was funding the yeah. country. Yeah, so. and yeah, no one's, and it was honest. Like, yes, you yeah. if you poke at this, well, first of all, you are going to end up with a bum leg at minimum. You're going to be outgunned. Uh, you're going to be, you're going to be professionally ridiculed, and you're not going to, you're not going to solve it. You're not going to get the presidential medal of freedom. At best, you're going to be allowed to retire in disgrace. Um, you know, like at yeah, best, his, his boss is like, "Oh, you you better leave this alone. The federales yeah. are going to yeah. deal with this. Yeah. Not your business." Yeah, and he doesn't do the Hollywood thing. Yeah, right? yeah. He he gets the information, gets a medal, and says, "Screw it. Yeah, I'm going to go help." Uh, you know. Yeah. House. Yeah, I've got I've got my I've got this prostitute for the moment off of cocaine. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna call I'm gonna call that a win. You know, and I all the bribe money I need. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I can retire to the firm. Yeah. Um, 
I did. Th- you mentioned also uh, the character of uh, his his wife, who I thought that was a. I thought that was an excellent portrayal. I don't know the actor's name here. It's but I thought it was an excellent portrayal. I did wonder how it seemed like she dropped out of the movie for huge segments of it. And I thought that was maybe it worked for the film. Well, I do think it worked for the film, but it was a bit odd. You know, like here's like first act, she's involved. Uh second act She's absent entirely. Third act, she's there for like one scene. And uh, I thought that was, I like that first act. It's like, okay, so this is a, a fraught love story uh, that is developing here. And we're going to see how it's going to unfold. And then it's like, then she's absent for the next like hour. And then uh, she's in a, the last scene where she's now... A, she's now happy uh yeah but let me um defend something about that because i I did think that i also noticed that but an absentee father in mexico yeah he's working like on this job night you know 24 hours a day or whatever isn't that unheard of or unusual um it's not impossible. Some come to the U.S. to work and send their money yeah. home. Uh, this is not unusual. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, great. Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. So it's not a flaw of the film so much as is it, it's an adequate representation of what actually occurs. Uh, for yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, so that's good to know. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. Well, this is, um, you know, yeah. a segment of Mexican culture, mm-hmm. um, but it's not an insignificant one. It's a pretty large segment. Because uh, people go where their jobs, and the jobs are often very, you know, demanding. Yeah. Now, um, and, uh, well, so let's uh, talk a bit about... Uh, the, the relationship with the prostitute and what was going on there. Like, what do you think? Like, these parts of the movies, this part of the movie, I found, the, and I'm to talk, the second act, really, I guess. Uh, I was having a tough time figuring out what Rojas was doing and, two, uh, deeper, what the movie was actually about here. Like it, it seemed to, there was a transition there that I'm not sure I would even now fully get. Uh, what did you, and I think the the prostitute Marigold was sort of key to this. And so, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Uh, all I can say is that again, this is again, not culturally unusual mm-hmm. um, yeah. for, I think Mexico has one of the highest rates of infidelity, um, and it is not viewed as unusual. I think it's unusual for the mistress to be a prostitute, um, but it's not unusual uh, in the sense that you see this in stories in Mexico, you see this as a sort of understood facet of the marital relationship. Okay. Uh, 
So yeah. I don't, again, I think within the culture, it doesn't come across as strange. Basically, any to- telenovela you watch in Mexico, which is huge art form yeah. here. We've had telenovelas shot in our house, by the way, in Mexico. Uh, they they just shoot them in people's houses, and, and they pay it for it. Um, uh, it's yeah. not like they march in without telling it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's considerate. <laughs> not anymore, maybe. Um, but any telenovela, pretty much any fiction you read or see, it's going to have that. If you see a lot of Mexican film and TV, you're going to see similar situations. And I don't know if it's an artifact of Catholicism um, and, you know, expectations of the marital bed. I'm not sure. But this is, yeah. um, I think, authentic in that sense. The inauthentic part is that it's a prostitute who you would just pay and leave. And you wouldn't fall in love with them and help them, right? So that would be the that would be the strange part. That maybe Rojas is such a decent fellow, right, that he actually cares about her. And that seems unusual. And that makes him actually more sympathetic. Right. And, and he is naive. Like this character, like at this point, by the end of the movie, he's not naive at all. Uh, well, he's less naive. Uh, but by at the middle act of the movie, he is still a naive guy. Like he's he he's not. Sh- so I could see such a character. Uh, and the first time I think, well, we encounter uh, the prostitute Maribel, uh, he was uh, he was drunk off of his, like, he couldn't walk, um, you know, and uh, uh, such a character I could see uh, falling for a prostitute. And it's like, okay, I'm going to redeem her. I'm going to save her because, you know, he's... I mean, that's a trope. He, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it it's works. It's a taxi driver character, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Yes. But, yeah. Different version of the cat taxi. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Really different character. Yeah. yeah but, uh, yeah. Uh, right. Um, yeah. Okay. That makes more sense. And also, like, you know, like this whole idea that. Mar- like marriage historically in the Western tradition was all a, it started off with a, as a property relation, uh, you know, and it's only very recently where it became hallmarkized uh, into uh, law. Yeah, 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 no, like it, it, that, that's like really recent. Like uh, it was the aristocrats uh, getting married to one another to expand their empires. Or their fiefdoms, not empires, fiefdoms. Uh, so it makes sense then in that construct, which was imported to Mexico via colonialization. You know, you know, okay, so therefore, if marriage is about property because the colonizers doing it and enforcing us to do it, honestly, let's uh, then. The sexual relation and the emotion, the emotional part's going to come from somewhere else. Right. Might as well, you know. It, I'm not saying that's the way it has to be, obviously, but that's a derivation of that history. Yeah, the the yeah. courtship, I yeah. guess that, that Griselda yeah. went through was very transactional. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. Like, there was no sense of anything. Maybe a. Yeah. 
you know, some yeah. desire, but mostly it had to do with a transaction. Yeah. Absolutely. Like from the first moment, it's like, how can I get out of this ticket yeah. for Zelda? And then uh, Rojas is like breakfast. And then yeah. then she warms up to him and she's like, breakfast. Here's my house. Come yeah. over and then uh, come over. And dad's at the table. And it's like what it was. You really got the sense of what can what does Rojas bring to this? Oh, he brings with it the authority of a uniform, which through whatever means will generate income and like and then it's uh sorted like really we get that scene and then i think and then the next moment then then there's the marriage montage uh and then um she's pregnant and he's uh sleeping with a prostitute and she's like you bring enough money yeah, you do that again and I'll cut off your balls. And then and then oh, but you have this money. Oh, you must right. be so tired. Okay. <laughs> you know, like instantaneously. Yeah, like the same the same sequence. She's like, yeah. I will serve you your balls for breakfast if you do this again to Oh, you have the money. <laughs> oh, you must be so tired. You work so hard. Here, right. let me prepare you breakfast without involving your gonads. You know, like it's like, yeah. So I thought that was, uh, yeah, that was funny, and it was also, I think, yeah. pretty also honest, right? Um. So, uh, what else well, do you want? Yeah, I, I think that ties up. I think we're well over our hour, man. I'm not ah. sure, but. <laughs> Yeah, where are we at? Uh, we got we're close to it, but we we were, pr- okay. we're we were prattling on beforehand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, so let yeah, um, yeah. I again I'm 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 glad that you and I share views about Highway Patrolman. Um, yeah. I would urge you to watch um, if you get a chance Repo Man. Repo Man. Oh yeah, um, it's, which is it's a, on the I list. Think a, classic satire it has some laugh out loud moments and um you see a lot of things in it that get in a lot of other films that you'll recognize as homages after the fact um and it's I, again i'm 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 glad we have the opportunity to watch these films from alex cox and um i think he Highway Patrolman shows that he could really have done some great work. Um, he does some great work without much budget in this and mm-hmm. uh, this film particularly. Um, and, you know, I think it's an important film. You're right. I think it should be part of Criterion Collection. I think it's not because it didn't really get a wide distribution. It had almost no distribution, again, because of the blackballing of Alex Cox and it came out again in the early 90s. It wasn't, we weren't out of that phase. In fact, I don't know if we're out of that phase yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> arguably not. Um, no, it, it were, what's going on in Hollywood now is just weird. Uh, yeah, like. Uh, I mean, the streaming yeah. should have opened up channels for all sorts of new. You'd think, but. But it hasn't. It just, it was a reinvention of the studio system. Uh, Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, if you listen to the the various unions on strike, and I, 
and I do. Um, yes, it's the attempt to reinvent the studio system, like these people not getting the creators, the writers, and the actors not getting compensated sufficiently. Like, uh, I, f I forget the value, the dollar values, but uh, it was somebody, uh, it was one of the writers for The Mandalore, or is is either uh, the Mandalorian or one of these Disney shows, uh, Marvel Disney shows, saying what they get paid for the entire episode, their entire run in this series? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like they're they're but they don't. It's actors who get special contracts who get these residuals. Yeah, like the creative, like the people creating the scripts yeah. get peanuts. Yeah. yeah, like Robert Downey Jr. He's not suffering. Good for him. I he's great. But you know, like the 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 script the script producer the people who write the scripts and anybody who's not Robert Downey Jr. Uh, just gets peanuts and uh, it's a one-time payment and that's a that's a horrible way to live um, so um, yeah. and it and it's rare that you find an artist who's capable of working outside that system yeah um I was recently hearing an, uh, an interesting interview with Robert Rodriguez you know the just mm -hmm. yeah. gone um, yeah that was a big breakthrough with Quentin Tarantino. Um, and then, you know, he was able to work outside that system for a long time, but now he's also beholden to it. <laughs> he's still yeah, the like, billionaire um, who's making money with things like Spy Kids, et cetera. But it's hard to break in like that. And it's hard yeah, to work like, outside. You have to, you have to have some sort of serious wealth. Like, uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones is, no, that's not what I'm thinking of. It's, uh. Oh Christ! She was just in uh, Netflix series. Uh, anyway, she's uh, and she was also in uh, From Dusk Till Dawn. That's why I'm thinking of her. I mean, what? She was also in In Dusk for In Dusk Till Selma Dawn. Hayek. Yeah, Salma Hayek, right? Like she's yeah, she broken. Yeah, she's broken out of the system because she's married one of the richest people on the planet. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, she she can be as critical as she wants yeah. because she she has more money probably than than the royal family of England. Um, you know, and it's just um, but the she vast, can freedom. Yeah. Uh, this is um, it, it's hard to get that freedom, and yeah. I I do find it a shame that pe that people like Alex Cox end up um, in the basically the slums of filmmaking, um, yeah. scraping by, trying to make really good films on their own, and succeeding only very rarely. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And like a lot of the reason they don't succeed is because they don't have the money and they can't get like Cronenberg uh, is another like, yeah, he get he makes one film every five, five, six years. If he can get the investors, sometimes they work. And his early films where he didn't have the investors like, wow, they're really hit and miss, you know, like and it, and why are they hit and miss? Because. You have one camera and only this much film, uh, you know, like and uh, and no distribution. Uh, OK, so what would you eliminate? Uh, best shot, worst shot from both uh, or what is good and 
something so, bad. Yeah, in in Walker, I think the uh, best stuff uh, comes in that right when they march on. I was in Managua. They marched on. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, the, yeah, yeah, that was a great scene. I mean, despite his yeah. kind of walking, um, like in this uh, magical way through the bullet fire, I thought that very vividly and accurately captured more or less the what Walker did, which was a massacre. But the fact is, they won because they lost a few less people than the people they invaded. This is historical, um, and that was bloody. It was, I thought this, the scenery was well um, depicted and accurate. Um, so I, I like that scene actually a lot. In fact, I like the Mexico battle scene too in the very beginning. Hmm. Those are great battle scenes because they don't um, sugarcoat anything um, other than the fact that Walker walks through unaffected. Um, yeah, I mean, some guy loses his arm or something. It's right. these are things that happen on, on actual battlefields. Um, uh-huh. The well, I could have done it without the. Um, um, so I thought Peter Boyle was great, but best when he was in that weird meeting in the desert. Um, yeah. I didn't like the scenes in in his uh, mansion. Yeah. That they were. Uh, out of place and unnecessary. I'd seen up his nose enough. I yeah. didn't need more of those shots. Peter Boyle was underutilized. Um, he's a great actor. He does Vanderbilt well, but the best scene was only that railroad scene out in the middle of the desert. It was perfect. The rest we could have done without. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's right. uh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, for. Oh, no, go ahead for uh, Highway Patrolman too. You do, you do Walker. Okay. Yeah. Um. The the battle scene, the massacre scene where he walks through like he's anointed by God. Just hearing you talk about it reminded me of how much that scene has been done for the exact opposite reason. Like I'm thinking of. Uh, Mel Gibson in Braveheart and every other mass battle movie where you have the hero walking through emerging completely unscathed and here and here it is done for a very different reason not to show the hero as this untouchable god who has descended from the heavens onto earth but as a as a seriously mentally delusional lunatic um, walking through. Uh, and I think that was great. I agree with you. The The second scene, and I think it was the third scene involving uh, Peter Boyle in the mansion. It's like, no, I don't, I didn't need it. It took me out of the film. Yeah, uh, yeah I didn't. It didn't do much for me at all. I know who this guy is. I know what he's all about. It it didn't help. I thought another great scene in this movie was the Marley Mat- Matlin scene where she is uh, talking, where she is about the slavery. I thought that was real. That was a moment which really uh, early on, it's like, 
I'm sitting up and taking notice here, and this is super important. I thought that was excellent uh, in this movie. And the final scene, like where the choppers come in, and it's like, because by that point in the movie, there was a lot of hit, there was a lot of hit and miss in this movie for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, things that worked, things that didn't. And by the last act, I'm wondering, what the hell? Am, why am I watching this? Why, you know? And then that end scene is like, oh, this is why I'm watching. Okay. Yeah. This is, and I thought that really worked. Uh, so, you know, what was strangely, now that you mentioned it, um, strangely touching for me was when Ed Harris, after she dies, he signs to her uh, while mm-hmm. she's in her coffin. I found mm-hmm. that to be a really actually beautiful yeah. touch, right? Yeah. So this guy, I felt he did authentically love her so much mm-hmm. so that right in her death, he doesn't talk to her with his voice. He signs to her just as he did when she was alive. That was really actually very touching for me. And I, I almost, you know, shed a tear. That was, I didn't remember that scene. And then I thought, okay, that's a really... Mm-hmm touching portrayal yeah uh, yeah now that you bring it up which makes me wonder if after she died what we witnessed was a complete psychotic break you know yeah you know like that like because i'm i'm picturing a character who does that yeah yeah that's why i think yeah maybe he transitions he actually changes into this uh crazed person and that accounts Mm -hmm. for his behavior yeah yeah like that that makes a lot more that's a whole new level, right? You know, like, because, like, I thought, okay, from the get-go, he's just a lunatic at doing lunatic things. But there is that moment where he is, and even in the scene, the parlor scene, I'm going to call it, where he's he's not offering, he is offering a defense of slavery, clearly, but you think he's just mouthing the words because he's a social. It's possible he's mouthing the words because he's a social preener, um, you know, and he, and then he does. Then she dies. Then he signs to her. OK, it's a moment of true authenticity. After that, he becomes a lunatic, right. uh, you know, Which like might yeah. make sense. Maybe that's yeah. one way to view this character as not being just a utter lunatic throughout. Yeah. Um, and having some ground. Yeah. Yeah worthwhile to consider may i'll have to watch it again uh okay so highway patrolman what worked for you what didn't so um again the location shoots work for me because i love the landscape um the scenes in durango are incredibly beautiful that whole canyon um episode right where he kills emilio is is wonderfully shot um we have a sense that this guy is, again, he's not a cowboy. He is uh, just doing his job and really wants to wants to find out who's who's pulling the strings of this operation. Um, so I thought that was a that was a great scene, really well done, spectacular um, cinematography and acting, um, good action. Um, mm-hmm. What didn't work for me, I do think the absence of Griselda from the middle of the film undermines his character. Um, maybe it wasn't important for the story, but we don't have enough to show us that he's still in this marriage. He's still committed to it. 
Um, and other than that, he's bringing home the bribe money. You yeah. Know? Even something like that, just a few shots of him bringing home the bribe money. Yeah. Would have uh, punctuated. The, the film was sort of episodic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would have been a nice way to punctuate the episodes, the transition between the episodes. And it really would have that would have reminded me that that she existed because we spent a, quite a bit of time with her in that first act. And it's, you know, like it would have been nice. And then, yeah, moments which worked for me, uh, which were like surprising when he did get his leg shot. Uh, and what ended up happening that that was like a real I wasn't expecting it to go that way. Uh, I was I thought it was really excellent um, and shocking because like, you know, like in Hollywood movies like these people <laughs> get the most like they everybody gets shot in the shoulder and just walks it off. Yeah, you know, like, you know, it's like, oh, you just signed yourself up for two years of physio if you even live uh, right. because like there are arteries here, you know, <laughs> like, um, and, um, but it, and here, and you get shot in the leg and yeah, you're going to be effed up um, forever. And it was nice that they did that, yeah. um, you know, made that story choice. I thought that was great. It was surprising. Uh, the great moments in this movie were just, uh, they were, there's a lot of them. There's a, uh, the the only bad thing is I would have liked to see, just be reminded that Griselda existed throughout this show. Yeah. Um, I did like the final shot a lot. Just this uh, looking at him in profile after he's agreed to support two families with no job. And it's like, you're okay. I'm not totally aware of the socioeconomic in Mexico at this time, but I'm thinking you're aft. Um, they, it, it, there's no escape. You know, it's like they got a working farm. Yeah. Um, I guess he's got enough of the bribe money socked away to make it yeah. a success. Maybe he can do that. But there was this look on his face where he's like, it, I, what I got is like, yeah, there's no way out for you. There's no happy ending for you. Yeah. Uh, you're you're not climbing this. You're not climbing the social ladder. You're not falling to disgrace. You're just trudging on. Uh, yeah. And I thought that was a really poignant moment to end the film. Uh, you know, it was, uh, yeah. there's it reminds it reminded me of like a. Something that somebody said about black literature, how black literature, there's no happy endings of black in black literature. The characters start off at the same point and they end off uh, and their world hasn't fundamentally altered. And uh, and generate generalize this to just like a, a claim about uh, immiserated classes in society. And it's like you see that in this final moment of this movie. It's like, yeah, you're not, you're not getting out of this 
awesome. You're just going to keep on charging on. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that was really an honest moment. I think I, I thank you for recommending these. They oh, totally it, like Highway Patrolman. It's like this is a on my list of like great films. Like, and it's a it's like a masterpiece. It in it is a it is, a, yeah. it is yeah. a very great film that never yeah. got saw seen. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking of other masterpieces, like like Bergman. Bergman always comes to mind, and it's like, no, this is this is up there with those. Like this is doing stuff, and I it it was gripping, and I was drawn into these characters. So it was really Great. cool. Uh, next ones, do you want? Let me know. Okay, two, because uh, that are related. Um, the Searchers and Taxi Driver. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, excellent films and uh, I can see the relation and yeah. I'm excited to watch them again. And uh, this is just the excuse I need. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so thank you so much, David. Uh, this has been awesome. And thank you to our audience. If we still have any uh, there, we applaud you. <laughs> my students, my, I, I, I am the advisor for our philosophy club. We had uh-huh. 50 people show up for our philosophy club last week. Wow. And um, I mentioned the podcast. They're like, oh, wow. Um, tell us how to listen to it. So maybe we, if, if a tenth of them listen We'll have doubled mm-hmm. our audience. Well, we could just, we could just, uh, I could do that with my students too, like tag it to Marks. Sure. <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah, you get like your participation grade for this class is if you listen to the podcast, <laughs> you know, like, I, I, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, uh, maybe I won't do that. Maybe. My administrators might have just heard that and I could be out of it. But anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> okay, David. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you.